Good afternoon and welcome from the Australia Indonesia Centre at Monash University in Melbourne. Thank you so much for joining us for our webinar today or our in-conversation webinars as we like to call them, our second one for this week uh, and that's because there's a lot going on with uh, the impact of coronavirus and uh, our desire to look into some of the challenges that that has raised and how Indonesia and Australia are handling them. So thank you very much for joining us. Apologies for the slight delay. We do promise you a very interesting hour, though, of uh, discussion. I'm Helen Brown. And, of course, what we're going to discuss today is how local and regional governments are critically managing the impact of the coronavirus in their districts and areas. We rely a lot on central government, but of course what we're seeing on the ground is that it is what is happening in those more local communities that is really affecting the management of the spread of this disease. We are going to speak to the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, Sally Cap, population 5 million, who's joining us. Thank you very much. I'll introduce you um, much better in a bit, a bit of time. And uh, Pat Ridwan Kamil, who is the governor of West Java um, and uh, is a, a friend of Sally Cabs. They know each other quite well. Population a little bit more, 68 million, but both facing similar challenges. But we thought also both perhaps they can learn from each other about um, some of the activities and the impact of them because, let's face it, we're all learning at the moment. I would like to acknowledge firstly the traditional owners of the land on which I am broadcasting from, that is the Kulin Nations. That's where the Centre's Melbourne office is and it is of course also the land on which Lord Mayor Sally Cap is broadcasting from. Uh, we, repay, we pay our respect to Elders past, present and future. Now, before we uh, get into the discussion, uh, I should also mention we have a very special guest who's going to come and join us a bit later and give his personal experience of the coronavirus and also quite a granular government view of how he's handling it in his particular uh, regency. So um, I'll bring uh, Dr. Bima Aya Sugiato in a bit later on. What I want to do, though, for a start was uh, set the scene a little bit and look at perhaps some of the similarities that are occurring at the moment between West Java and the city of Melbourne and Victoria, the state of Victoria and, and Australia and Indonesia, similarities in social distancing rules, uh, working from home if you can, uh, wearing a mask in Indonesia, which is different to Australia. There have been measures around economic packages to help those most affected by what's been happening and also testing and analysis, um, some areas that we really need to go into because as we've discovered in past webinars, this uh, is somewhere that perhaps Australia and Indonesia can work closer together. Melbourne and West Java are two hotspots, so to speak. I know that the numbers in Australia and Melbourne are coming down, but it's still where we are seeing new cases. And of course, but Ridwan Kamil has been dealing with uh, the hotspot of West Java and trying to ensure his people are looked after as much as possible in that area. Now, interestingly, uh, the... <laughs> we miss you too. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you won't be able to travel here for a while, but <laughs> that's a shame and vice versa. I thought it worth also just putting in the context that both central governments are starting um, to ease restrictions or talking about easing restrictions. So this, this is another level that will have to be managed, you know, in terms of letting a few more people gather or in the case of Indonesia, some talk about a return to work by July. 
So with that, I will uh, stop talking and uh, let's talk to those who are handling it on the front line. And Lord Mayor Sally Cap, if I could go to you first. How, as someone who has been a leader, uh, not just of Melbourne City, but of organisations, of companies, how challenging has this pandemic been for you in steering a local government through it? Good. Well, firstly, Helen, thank you so much for organising this forum. I've got my pen and paper ready to write down lots of good ideas uh, from the Governor and the Mayor of Bogor uh, and through the conversation. I think it's really important that we keep sharing and learning at these times of crisis because we don't have a manual for dealing with a pandemic of this nature Uh, It's global, it impacts every sector, every community, every country, Uh, and so really quite extraordinary times, as you said. So thank you very much. Uh, It's been absolutely critical for us here in Melbourne uh, to to do a number of things. I think your initial question is what's the the first most important, and it's so difficult to say one thing. Uh, We, of course, in the first instance, responded to the, uh, the health crisis, And uh, I think everybody realised that as we responded to the health crisis, it has started a devastating economic crisis. Uh, Nonetheless, in our country, Australia, and certainly in the city of Melbourne, uh, we have agreed to prioritise the health response first. And we're really pleased that in Victoria, we've had a very similar uh, situation to West Java. We're proud of the way in which the virus has been managed and uh, we've had about 1,500 cases. We've had only, well, 19 deaths, all of them tragic, but certainly in terms of numbers, comparatively very low. Uh, We're up at almost 260,000 tests done across uh, our community, which is is really pleasing. Uh, But for us, what's been essential is to understand what is our critical role. Uh, We are uh, a local government. Uh, We must be cognisant of the role that we play uh, with the state government uh, and the federal government and be very clear what is expected of us, what are the critical and essential responses and we must deliver those well. We have a role to play. If we deliver our role well, then everything else uh, should flow from that, not least of which is the confidence of the community to keep trusting government at a time when we really do need them to uh, listen and adhere to uh, the instructions. Uh, And we've been asking for massive behaviour change and so far it's been fantastic. Something actually I learned from uh, the Governor of West Java Uh, in our first meeting was that focus on people and building uh, that trust and confidence and it certainly uh, is a really important part of how we can respond to this successfully. Just quickly as an overview, Helen, on the health response at our level of government, it's been very much about communicating uh, and informing uh, people about what is expected of them. And it's been difficult because we've had a very strict lockdown, uh, very strict requirements around social distancing. And as I said, we have expected massive behaviour change and we've been pleased to see uh, that respected and adhered to. Uh, we've done everything from locking down uh, public Uh, venues and assets from libraries and gyms through to parks uh, and playgrounds 
and we've had to uh, play a role in informing people about what does social distancing and lockdown mean for them and then of course helping with the enforcement of those rules so that we have had uh, a pleasing uh, outcome on the health side. On the economic side, uh, it, it, this is still to play out over some time and as we continue to manage the health response. But what's been critical is that as a local government, what is expected of us? And that's meant a couple of important things. One is maintaining our workforce and in financially challenging times, uh, we've done a lot of uh, bending uh, to make sure that we can uh, keep our workforce. Those parts of our organisation that have had to close due to lockdown, like libraries, have then uh, redeployed into areas where we've seen an increase of demand, such as street cleaning, and we've been delighted at the cooperation across our team uh, to be so flexible in librarians becoming street cleaners. It's really quite uh, extraordinary. I've been packing boxes myself of uh, in warehouses of, uh, of essential needs for our most vulnerable in our community. We're all rolling our sleeves up. Uh, but the next part of it has been critical as well, and that is that there are essential services that we must continue to deliver as a local government from collecting waste, and we've seen an incredible increase, 250% increase in the dumping of rubbish. People are cleaning their apartments and homes out while they're working from home. Uh, all the way through to looking after our most vulnerable, feeding the elderly, looking after the homeless, maintaining maternal health services, uh, ensuring that uh, the elements of our city that people must be able to rely upon are continued to be delivered. And that's certainly been our first priority. From there, we gained the confidence uh, and we had the capacity to look at other ways that we can help people and business. And that's led to what I'm sure we'll talk about in detail, a number of initiatives around business support packages, uh, ways in which we help our arts community, uh, international students and our community grants. And all the while, uh, that's been for the survival uh, phase of uh, this COVID response. All the while, we need to maintain capacity to be able to be a driver in the revival stage from COVID. And that's certainly what we're doing in terms of our future recovery planning, which is underway. When we can lift restrictions, we need this city to be up and ready to go uh, in force and uh, that's central to our planning. So that is a big snapshot of what's been keeping us busy here at the City of Melbourne and our laser focus on ensuring that our essential services continue to be delivered. That's a very big snapshot, but thank you very much for pulling that all together, Sally Cap. Uh, but Ridwan Kamil, I expect you've got just as big a list of what the City uh, of Bandung, which you were formerly Mayor of, and the... Uh, Province, uh, the governor of West, as now the governor of West Java, is doing to manage the coronavirus. Uh, you are one of those on the ground who has been proactive in dealing with it uh, and talking to central government and raising concerns. Would you like to give us uh, a, an overview, similar to Sally Cap, of, of the measures you've been implementing in West Java? Yes. Uh, thank you, Helen. Uh, in very brief five minutes, I would like to share some visuals to, to also uh, 
<clears throat> emphasize my uh, argument and my progress. I think, as you know, uh, is uh, COVID is affecting everybody from grassroots to industrial scale, from developed country to developing country, no exceptions. And I don't think we are in control, uh, in my opinion, because we never have such a situation in our history uh, also. And I divided the, the, this crisis into three stages. Uh, number one is uh, healthcare crisis uh, because of the virus. Second, uh, second stage, we are experiencing what we call uh, economic crisis. And, and we are hoping we don't have to get to the third uh, situation, uh, what we call is political and social crisis. Yeah. But uh, if you check, uh, go back to the slides of uh, West Java statistic, Indonesia uh, today, uh, last night, uh, reported is around uh, 15,000 yeah, uh, cases. And I still believe that the actual number could be uh, more because uh, this is based on the capability of our testing capacity. And if we compare uh, West Java, Helen, it's more or less uh, the same like South Korea. Uh, governor of West Java is responsible to 50 million people. Uh, the president of South Korea, more or less also 51 people, million people. But my budget is only 1% of South Korea. Yeah, so you can imagine only 1% uh, the resource and money capacity I have to save. Uh, the same quality of 50 million people. That's the challenge in West Java. Uh, next slide, uh, you will see in the black uh, uh, slides uh, that it relates to the urbanity. Uh, so uh, COVID is really happening in the urban area, less in rural. So the denser you are, uh, the more you uh, we found the, the COVID cases. So... Uh, Mostly happen, uh, the red zone is in the cities uh, surrounding Jakarta and the capital of Bandung. I have 27 cities and regions. Uh, mostly what uh, we call city, uh, the number of cases is higher than regencies. Yeah. Uh, then we created uh, uh, scenarios, uh, uh, lockdown or no lockdown and uh, many options. So uh, we decided we do partial lockdown. Yeah. Uh, what is partial lockdown? Uh, we have local term called PSBB, but it's, uh, in English we, we call it very simple, maybe partial lockdown. Partial lockdown is we try to limit the activity of our people up to only 30%. Yeah. So it's, very, it's not very easy. Uh, you can imagine 50 million people now suppress the activity only to 30%. Uh, and this uh, been started from uh, April 15 for five cities, followed by another five cities uh, in uh, April 20. And now the whole province, I decided uh, to be a partial lockdown for uh, 50 million people uh, since May 6. 
So this is the largest operation in Indonesia uh, to contain uh, 50 million people uh, to make sure the safety of my people. Next. Now, also, uh, this is the simulation, Helen. Uh, we, if the blue line is indicating that we do the herd immunity, just up to the people's immunity, yeah, no action taken. Uh, mm -hmm. We could have 1.8 million affected. Then we started our uh, Jakarta Metropolitan, uh, Bogor, including Pabima, reduced to only 700,000 possibly affected. We we, ex we uh, extend our partial lockdown to our capital, Bandung area, metropolitan, reduced to 119,000, possibly affected. Now we're exercising the, the best one, the last one, is the whole West Java being uh, partial lockdown, possibly infected only 25,000. Uh, yeah. Next. So after we exercise, next, uh, this uh, measure, uh, Helen, we found many good news. So it, it is proven that if we reduce the number of crowds, the number of density, uh, the less uh, uh, COVID cases found. Uh, but next, Brigitte. This one shows the COVID reproductions uh, speed. Before partial lockdown is really uh, big, 1.27 index, now close to 1. Yeah, it means the number of uh, reproduction of COVID is reduced. Per today is 0 0.8. Uh, before partial lockdown is 3. In, uh, index 3 means one uh, patient could infect uh, uh, three person in one day. But now it's reduced to 0 0.8, so it means it's it's good. Yeah, uh, the number, uh, the the speed of uh, reproduction of COVID is reduced. Next, uh, we try also, sebelumnya, uh, to enlarge our scale of tests. The problem of us is the testing capacity, Helen. We could only test per today 120,000. Uh, according to South Korean standard that which, uh, WHO uh, applied, is around 0.6%, uh, meaning 300,000. So I'm working very hard to make sure I can test uh, the remaining 180,000 uh, to total 300,000 being tested. Uh, we have nine laboratory available, hopefully seven in progress. So this is how we massive. And for Indonesian standard, West Java is the biggest number of people tested is in West Java. Because I believe the more we test it, the more we are uh, finding the right map where the COVID location. Next. Uh, this is the economic issues. Yeah, Before the COVID, we subsidy only 25% of our people, the poor people. During the COVID, the experts said, Mr. Governor, you have to provide 40% of your people subsidy. Uh, but actually, Helen, it turned out to be 63%. So you can imagine mm. with only 1% compared to South Korea, I have to subsidy two-thirds of my people 
from 9 million uh, life to 38 million lives. Yeah. So this is a very difficult time for us. That's why I stop every project in West Java uh, and focus all the budget next to good, focus only to COVID. Uh, we try to save life, so we don't think we can do any uh, infrastructure projects. I, I mostly stop everything, and I said to my budget team, let's uh, refocusing uh, everything to the basic necessity and saving life of COVID. And uh, I think we are the highest number of uh, budget dedicated to COVID is West Java. This is our commitment, how serious we are in, in uh, dealing with this COVID. Next. Uh, last couple of slides. This is our strategy. Prevention uh, uh, is uh, number one uh, uh, strategy uh, because we do the partial lockdown, social distancing, and so on and so on. Uh, and also the issue of Muslim now is they have the homecoming uh, ritual. It's very difficult because if we do the same like last year, three million more people will come to homes and affected uh, possibly happen uh, because of this. So we are uh, disciplined and uh, create uh, a ban for homecoming uh, or mudik. Yeah, next. Uh, test and tracing is also part of our strategy in West Java. We are the largest number of people tested in the whole pro Indonesia. Uh, we test uh, everywhere, Helen, not only in the hospital or in uh, uh, in area-area affected, but also in the wet market, in the uh, train, in the station, terminals. Uh, we do a massive test. Uh, this week, we, we, we are testing 15,000 uh, PCR to many public areas. Next. Next. Uh, next. And this is the good news, Helen and uh, Sally. Uh, in April, the last April, the number of patients uh, uh, had peaked around 425 patients. Surprisingly reduced the following week. Now we're only dealing with 300-something patients. So now the burden of our doctors and healthcare uh, workers is uh, less uh, compared to April. Yeah. So this is very surprising. Uh, so our our curve is flattened uh, so far. So by more testing, uh, hopefully uh, we can reduce the burden of hospital also. So it means the asymptomatic is 70% of our confirmed positive. Only 30% now treated in the hospital. So this is a good news for doctors. Next. Uh, some facilities for uh, doctors. Uh, we provide five-star hotel because some doctors and the hospital workers, they cannot go home. So we treat them like the hero. So we provide five-star hotel uh, pay by us. Next. Next. Uh, this is... Uh, uh, last slide that I want to share. So uh, to conclude, Helen, we, we exercise five leadership value. Number one, proactive. Uh, we don't wait always for central government uh, instruction. We are the first province to test our own in our, our laboratory. Uh, during the time the test was centralized in Jakarta, we are the one who first to do the independent testing. 
we always transparent. We created apps called Picobar uh, for everything, the data analytics, uh, and so on, so on. We always try to be scientific in our decision making. Uh, scientist is the number one advisor to my decision making process. We try to be innovative also. Good news, Helen. West Java now can produce everything. We produce our own VCR, no more import. We can produce a ventilator from $50,000 US dollar only to uh, around $1,000 US dollar, for example. Uh, today, I visited a startup producing the rapid test uh, with accuracy 80% compared to the Chinese product, only 10%. So we are very proud and we can use our own products the next following months or weeks. And last point is collaborative. Uh, we ask everybody to involve. I think this is Indonesia value uh, from housewife providing food uh, to uh, enterprise uh, conglomerate uh, helping us. So I think that's more or less my introduction. Uh, our partial lockdown proved to be uh, successful. Uh, next week we start the, the study, Helen, on how to reduce this uh, level four. Uh, partial lockdown, we call it level four. We will review which area will be reduced to level three. It means from 30% activity, you can add to 60% activities. Uh, and which area will be level two, which is back to 100% activities, but with uh, healthcare protocol using masks or social distancing. Uh, and hopefully someday we'll be go back to level one, which is go back to like pre-COVID situation. But I don't think that would happen until the vaccine or the uh, uh, the medicine found for COVID. So maximum, I think I can go back to level two, uh, the new normality, the new normal. Uh, and to conclude, as a leader, I think Sally would agree, it's a delicate balance situation between healthcare, economy, economy, healthcare, how big the dose to let the economy going it's, it's not very easy so i think uh, the issue in united states in europe everywhere is how far the economy is okay during the the pandemic this is always a very tricky and difficult questions uh, that's why hopefully we can share uh, we want to survive uh, also but uh, i think 70% is good news from west java 30% is uh, uh, something we have to be uh, focused. Uh, I don't want to have a second wave coming to West Java uh, with all this good news. Uh, so we are trying to, to find the right formula. That's uh, reporting thank from you. West Java. Thank you very much, one And thank you very much for your time. I should mention that to both of you. I appreciate it. We appreciate it greatly. We know how busy you are. And Bart Ridwan, if I could pick up on the point you were making about testing and you, you, you're asking for more testing to be done and you're actively trying to get that organised and more laboratories set up to do it. But if you do ease restrictions, do you feel confident that you'll have the testing in place so that you can track and trace um, to keep those numbers lower as you, as you say is happening? Yes, I think uh, the data today is based on our uh, testing result, uh, based on our uh, capacity. Uh, for example, we tested 
in the random sampling to the passenger in our train or uh, incoming from airports, we found one or three percent is positive COVID, for example. From 300, 300 sampling, we found three uh, confirmed positive using PCR. So what if we tested thousands of these passengers? It means we will find 1% or 3% from this thousand. So that's why uh, the data today, I believe, is not really 100% representing the reality because of the testing capacity. That's why the key for us to in control is to work very hard to produce the, uh, the higher number of testing. Uh, but again, how big is the, the testing uh, to be accurate? Uh, there is no rule of thumb. So I'm just uh, copying uh, the South Korea standard, which is 0.6%. Uh, in Korea, 0.6% of population, you can find the map more or less. Uh, and we sort of 180,000. So I have to work hard in the next four weeks to find 180,000 uh, more testing in the limited time. So I think by the time we reach 300,000 in total, at least I can say to public, we, we, we have more or less uh, a scientific map of how to control the COVID. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Sally Cap, the Lord Mayor of the City of Melbourne, how important has it been for the council to work with the research institutions, the scientists? As Pat Ridwan mentioned, you know, they're mm. essential to getting good advice. How much has that guided you in the decisions that you've been making? Thank you. And uh, just to note that, of course, uh, the decisions that the governor is making are similar to our state government. So recognise the leadership that happens at that level of government around uh, setting the standard for our health response. And that's certainly true here in Australia together with the federal government. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I think what's worked very well uh, in Australia is that every level of government has had a chief health or chief medical officer that has been the key advisor to responding to the health crisis. And that's true even at the City of Melbourne. We have a chief health officer who has been uh, liaising with the other levels of government and then into our university system to and, and hospital precincts uh, to understand uh, what are the best decisions that we can be making uh, to manage the health response. We're so lucky here in, the, uh, in Melbourne to have the Doherty Institute, which is one of the leading uh, medical institutes looking at infectious diseases and to have Peter Doherty as a Melbourneian has been a wonderful resource for me uh, in terms of the city and also uh, to receive personal advice on how we can respond to this. Uh, and uh, I think as well it's looking to our scientists, our research institutes uh, for not just what is the, the health uh, um, risk and response, but also looking to those organisations on how do we manage ourselves as a community and economy uh, during the, this what I call uh, survival stage or rescue stage and then as we move into uh, thriving and uh, recovery, uh, it's again making sure that we're utilising the intellectual property, facts, data, evidence uh, 
because we know that when we reverted to data and evidence uh, to respond well to the health crisis, uh, that we, uh, we could put in the right measures uh, and the right actions. Uh, that included, uh, as the Governor has said, uh, moving towards lockdown, uh, ways in which we enforce. And I think it's really been the most compelling way that we've been able to inform and communicate to the public and to our community to motivate them to respond in the way we want to has been to use the medical advice, the data and the science uh, much more uh, than any of the other arguments that we could have put in place. But again, maintaining that confidence as we move forward uh, where we can utilise the intellectual property, uh, the data and the evidence to show pathways. Because as everybody has said so far, this is nothing that we've experienced before. We can't look back. It's not like a global financial crisis where unfortunately we've had quite a few of those where we can look back and learn from that experience. We're delving into big pandemics uh, in the past from uh, plagues uh, and diseases and to see how they've been managed previously, but they've been within geographic or even socio-demographic uh, uh, limitations. This virus has actually jumped all of those barriers so that everybody is at risk and can be impacted uh, and even uh, more why those elements of science, data and evidence are important for managing our way forward. Thanks, Sally. That, that's an important point around how the science has guided a lot of the decision-making. On that, I'd like to bring in our very special guest. Well, we have already have two very special guests, but um, it's lovely to be able to introduce our audience to Dr. Bhima Aya, who is the mayor of Bogor, one of the major cities in West Java, in Indonesia, of course, um, a former advisor to the AIC Urban Water Cluster, so he's a friend of the AIC, but also uh, did a master's and a PhD in Melbourne. So and one of our... <laughs> and and working with you, no doubt, Park Ridwan, on this this huge challenge. And um, thank you so much for dropping in, Dr. Beamer. We appreciate it. I uh, I think what we should tell people is that you actually have had coronavirus and obviously wow. survived and survived well. I want to talk to you about how you've encouraged your citizens to take careful measures, but. Um, Tell us first a bit about the, having the virus and what it's like and, and the health system that you uh, were in and how, how they looked after you. Right. Uh, thank you, Helen, Gubernur and Sally. It's good to see you. Um, the first case of COVID-19 in the city of Bogor was 19th of March, and it was me. So I was patient number one <laughs> in our beloved city, and I believe that... Uh, there is no coincidence uh, in this life, so uh, I think I was chosen by God to uh, to be uh, the first uh, uh, case of uh, positive COVID-19 because I have to do my job to prevent people for, uh, to be infected. Uh, so today we have 101 positive uh, case of COVID-19, uh, 21 already recovered and 14 people dead. But yes, uh, the curve is showing us that we have uh, a trend of a flattening curve. But we cannot tell that uh, 
we are saved yet. So we are not saved because uh, you know uh, Bogor is really connected with Jakarta, and we are also approaching uh, Lebaran Idul Fitri. So we have to anticipate the 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 massive movement of people coming and out from uh, the city of Bogor. So uh, what what I did uh, the first step is uh, to make sure that uh, all measures in handling COVID are supported by adequate budgets. I think that is uh, the, the first uh, important thing to do. So do not plan measures without available budget. We must be realistic. But that doesn't mean that we are giving up to the current situations. So I, entrust, I instructed all Bogor City uh, officials under my authority to shift our resources from initiatives that can be postponed or canceled to be directed toward handling COVID-19. So we already secure 144 billion rupees to be allocated in handling uh, this COVID-19, uh, starting from uh, health issues, social safety network, and also economic empowerment for our citizen. And the second step, I also requested the head of uh, you know regional revenue agency to make some sort of innovation in maintaining stream of income to the regions. You know, this is uh, a problem which is occurred uh, throughout the nations. So Bogor city locally generated revenue or our local income has fallen by around 60% because we are really, uh, you know, heavily dependent on uh, uh, revenue contributed by service and tourism sectors. The two sectors that were affected heavily by this pandemic. So we have to find ways how to solve the problems in terms of our local budget. And the third step, uh, we initiate the, uh, the important movement to uh, you know, generate public awareness in dealing with uh, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. We encourage the movement of million cloth masks. So it's like uh, you know, uh, the civil society movement uh, is uh, a simple but effective way to prevent transmission of the virus. And it is actually uh, empowering citizens and small businesses. Uh, I did it uh, when I was in the hospital. So uh, we circulate the uh, flyer digital uh, to not only to empower the uh, small scale industries, home industries, but also uh, to, you know, in raising awareness of this uh, pandemic uh, throughout the, uh, the city. And, uh, Dr. Bima, sorry, yes. if I could, my apologies, I, just to interrupt, because technology has been central to the way governments have been managing this. Right. And, and I know but Red One has introduced technology in West Java, and, and it sounds like you're doing something similar. So yes. science and technology, but how have you brought your people on board to concepts like social distancing? Have they accepted it? Have they accepted staying at home, for instance? Well, there are two ways in campaigning the importance of having, having social distance. First, through the social media, including the mainstream media, we are circulating the message about the importance of having you know, uh, uh, social distancing and also uh, the importance of you know, uh, using uh, masks uh, to the citizen. And the second channel is you know, a direct channel. We have uh, apparatus. Uh, in the city of Bogor, at the district level, uh, to the village level, uh, because not of our citizen, 
are you know uh, uh, you know uh, well connected with the social media so it is still important uh, to maximize uh, the functions of uh, traditional apparatus in the region mm. thank you so much Pat, for that for those answers and and i'm so glad you survived <laughs> that's that's good news um Ridwan Kamil, if I can go to you, because I'm curious, uh, I'd like to pick up on your point about 63% of the residents of West Java are middle-class citizens who are being pushed into poverty. Now, that is a worrying number, and I know that your finance minister has uh, tried to put in place measures to help them. You're doing the same. We're hearing about this new poor, as it's called. We've had We've come up against this issue in other webinars, and I think Sally Cap. Even in the city of Melbourne, this is an issue that you'll be facing. Um, just some brief comments from all of you about the seriousness, the seriousness of this and, and how to tackle it. But Ridwan, perhaps if we could start with you. Yes, uh, Helen. I think, as I said, while we are focusing uh, in fighting COVID, suddenly my time and energy uh, need to be shifted to economic issues, yeah. So every day, this is uh, like a daily uh, uh, aspect that I have to deal with. Uh, I think uh, how we 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 try to solve is by by again uh, we try to find a very scientific uh, inputs on how to uh, move the economic going. Yeah. Number one, we have the data that, as I said. Uh, before COVID, we only subsidy the poor is around 25%. The expert uh, predicted only 40% uh, need to be subsidy during the COVID, uh, but it's actually increased to 60%. Uh, so these uh, people, they got uh, fired or laid off uh, by the industry because West Java, Helen, 60% of the whole uh, industry in Indonesia uh, are located in West Java. So we are the one of the biggest province, the number one province in terms of uh, industry. When you shut down one factory, uh, at least 1,000 people lost the jobs. Yeah. So that's how the magnitude of my situation. For example, we did a testing to one factory in Bandung we found uh, seven po uh, confirmed positive COVID uh, in manager level. So by by having that situation, 2,000 uh, workers need to be uh, stay at home for the next 14 days, for example. So every day, the the reports of people uh, uh, sent home by the employee uh, is increasing. So. That's why we have uh, uh, several strategies. Number one is safety net. Uh, we put uh, 10.8 trillion rupiah for the next four months. Uh, our budget capacity, the first scenario is to, to try to survive in the next four months, assuming that in the month of July, everything will be okay. Yeah, uh, That's the uh, first scenario. Second scenario is uh, I will allow the factory to still open, but they have to take a massive test by their own budget. For example, 
But governor, I need to keep my factory running. And I said to them, okay, but you have to prove you have tested this, your 1,000 workers, including from CEO to office boy to, to security. So this uh, approach is being uh, implemented and discussed uh, with the invention of our local rapid test made in Bandung. And I'm very optimistic I can keep my economy going while maintaining the assurance that there is no COVID within the working area. So that's the second strategy. Number one, safety net. Uh, number two, uh, testing, more testing in the big scale uh, working area. And number three, uh, we are preparing the second scenario after July is we are creating uh, with Pak Jokowi and also us what we call the human intensive projects, uh, padat karya in local uh, words. It means if you want to build road or bridges, we have to make sure we include the whole unemployment people to be uh, labor. Yeah. So this is the third strategy to make sure uh, while they are trying to be uh, back on their feet, uh, government project can be used as a stimulus uh, to bring more people uh, to work as a worker in the infrastructure projects. And the fourth strategy is uh, we are uh, pushing the infrastructure of digital economy because we found uh, this is to, uh, proven to be useful during pandemic. Uh, many people have a new normality now, including my mom, for example, 81 years old, now learning how to do the Zoom. Uh, to to have a meeting <laughs> virtually with uh, her sons, including me. So there is a shifting uh, uh, of the new economy also. I think this four scenario hopefully uh, will uh, create a sufficient dose on how much the economy uh, can be open uh, during the pandemic. That's why I need to, to learn from Sally. Uh, my question to Sally is very important. During this time, uh, uh, are you allowing uh, some eco uh, economic activity to open? How many percentage uh, from 100% of normality now in Melbourne? And what's the the reason or the basis of your make decision at this business open, that business not open? Uh, I want to, to, to learn from Melbourne. Mm. Can I ask this question to Sally? Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, and Governor, uh, we can share a lot of detail, obviously, but uh, it uh, goes very much to uh, the, the original question, Helen, and, and that is in times like this we see how uh, economically fragile uh, individuals and families are, how dependent they are on their regular income coming in, and we've certainly seen some incredibly generous uh, programs like JobKeeper at a federal level where there's a guaranteed income uh, for certain workers and that's been fantastic but it's also shown us those groups that very easily slip through the cracks. For example, workers that are here on particular visas uh, and international students uh, where none of the current uh, programs for wage support, uh, they don't qualify for those. And so we've been very mindful of programs to make sure that at the very least they've got the essentials like accommodation and food uh, and that we are being a caring uh, city in response. 
but ways in which during this health crisis and as we start to manage out of the health crisis, we can keep people employed is obviously uh, the best strategy as the governor is alluding to. Uh, the federal government, state governments, uh, together with cities have identified what are essential services and those industries have stayed open. It has depended in each state, uh, differences in each state. What we've realised as a city is how dependent our city economy is on workers coming in every day. Uh, and so what's re really impacting our city economy is the fact that so many businesses, even uh, if they're essential, is that at the moment, if you, uh, people are uh, uh, advised and must work from home, uh, that has had then domino effect impacts on hospitality, retail uh, and other service businesses throughout our city. So where we've been able to keep jobs open, we've been delighted to do it. So those essential services, obviously health services, uh, construction services, so construction sites. Sorry, Helen. No, I was just going to pick up on um, your comment around keeping jobs because the, the City of Melbourne actually had some packages available to business yep. to help them, didn't they? Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's very on the ground, funds provided at the first instance. Exactly. Uh, so uh, beyond the essential services, so big industries like health and uh, construction where we've been able to keep people employed, uh, we've looked at ways in which smaller businesses can engage their staff during COVID, which doesn't involve uh, customers, believe it or not. It's a paradigm shift. So that is grants for staff training and professional development to keep people engaged, but also upskill them during this time so that they're ready to go. So grants for that. We've been giving grants for uh, digital and technology responses. So uh, building online platforms, uh, marketing uh, skills and uh, products so that businesses can uh, be communicating with customers remotely. Uh, grants that can build up the supply chains for delivery of those services. Uh, and those types of grants, uh, together with Capital Works grants, have meant that there are meaningful ways that businesses can keep their employees uh, active and uh, earning wages and uh, upskilling and really doing meaningful work during this time. There's no doubt that COVID has shown us how delicate the ecosystem is for our economies. Uh, when major parts shut down, it does have that uh, domino effect into others where we can keep uh, businesses going, then it has the same beneficial impact. I'll just use a quick example. We have a construction site near our main market, Queen Victoria Market. Those construction workers have managed to be stable customers for the market to keep those traders open uh, and uh, earning some income and keeping their employees on even during shutdown so that balance in that ecosystem is so vitally important and we can see it in even little examples like that. But, Governor, happy Excellent. to provide you with more detail. Yeah, so it's just so deep and complex and so many uh, avenues that need to be 
work through in different ways. Um, and, and one of those, Sally, while I've got you on, is we do have a question, and I'm, I apologise we haven't got too many questions from our audience, but um, there is one I'd like to put to you at the moment because you mentioned international students. And uh, we'll just put it up on screen so you can read that. Yeah. So there's, um, as you mentioned, there are some packages, but of course these students have to pay rent. Um, there's some concern emerging around housing that they that they can stay in their housing. Yes. Um, or accommodation. Are those the sorts of issues you're dealing with? Exactly. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I think a lot of our international students felt very ostracised and. Uh, overlooked in terms of the response initially. Uh, so when I say how is Melbourne responding, this is very much a group effort. The Governor mentioned collaboration earlier. It's been absolutely essential and certainly in relation to international students, state government, our universities, uh, TAFEs and education organisations uh, together with the city uh, have been combining uh, food vouchers, uh, rent support, um, just straight out grants to help them with whatever other expenses they have during this time, mental health support. Uh, I helped launch and host a, a dance and music night uh, online as a way of encouraging people to come uh, out still in an online way uh, and connect because we're very worried about isolation and mental health. And then other activities, again, that the uh, students can be involved in whilst they're doing online learning, which are about uh, case competitions, uh, assistance with, uh, with brushing up their resumes, uh, ways in which they can start to look at work experience. So uh, that sense of engagement and, again, a meaningful and purposeful way uh, of staying engaged. There's still a lot of work to be done here uh, and an appreciation for how our internet, how valuable our international students are uh, as a part of Melbourne. I think more and more people are realising uh, how vital they are. Can I just say on the Thanks. other part of the question on the most vulnerable, they do say never waste a crisis and there are some amazing examples of things that are better uh, from COVID and, and this crisis has really uh, meant that we have focused on our values and our priorities and what's really important to us. We have managed to uh, provide accommodation and support services to almost every person who was rough sleeping on the streets of Melbourne. Uh, more than uh, or close to a thousand people now have been accommodated uh, and we thank the state government for being a major driver of that and all of the work of the agencies. But that sense of collaboration about saying this is something that we value and is, uh, is a priority for us is helping our most vulnerable uh, and the care for the rough sleepers has meant that we've gone leaps and bounds ahead of where we were and now our challenge is to maintain the current level of support so that we don't go back again uh, into the future. So there are some examples uh, where we've been able to really make the most of the crisis to make a positive difference as well. Thanks so much. Uh, Sally, for that answer and for the great question, um, Governor Ridwan. I'm going to, I'm just looking at the time. We are at time, but we did start a bit late, so I'm going to steal five minutes if that's acceptable to everybody um, because I think uh, Dr Beamer has been patiently waiting and it would be nice to hear from him at the end. Um, Dr Beamer, 
The Governor of West Jakarta is obviously looking at measures to, around the economy. What's your sense of where the city of Bogor is and, and the many people who obviously need to go back to work? Do you feel that can be managed in a way that is safe? Well, uh, I, I do understand that now there is a need to uh, focus also on economic issues. But we have to be very carefully in, uh, you know, in uh, implementing the so-called of relaxation process. Because as I said, that we are not safe yet. We are approaching uh, Lebaran, Idul Fitri, a big day for Muslim. And surrounding our city, uh, there are still uh, uh, big problems uh, in terms of, you know, uh, spreading uh, the virus. So what we have to focus on today is actually combining the health issues uh, with economic approach. So uh, whatever the government, the center of government uh, has the idea in terms of, you know, uh, startling to make relaxations and also uh, focus on economic needs, uh, we have to accelerate uh, integrate uh, with, uh, you know, integrate approach with uh, local government as well. And in the city of Bogor, we also create uh, applications and apps which makes possible for any citizen to help other citizen. One family help one family. So uh, one million to help another family for the next two months. So it's some sort of our creations, uh, considering our uh, limitation budget uh, from our local uh, revenue in terms of government budgets. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And yeah, it is lovely to hear about these stories of people helping each other, of those who are fortunate at this time helping those who aren't so fortunate. Um, so maybe a, a more sense of community spirit will come out of this, if nothing yeah. else. Here at the Australia Indonesia Centre, we're also talking to our network of universities across Australia and Indonesia and um, the scientific work that they're doing. And some of them are actually on the front line, working in hospitals, looking after people with the coronavirus. So it's, it's certainly been an insight into a different world. Um, I'll leave it there. I think that we have, uh, we've taken your time. You've answered many questions and you, you have many other duties to go to. But uh, we do appreciate it very much. There's been a lot of interest in this. We have uh, 230 people watching. And... Uh, from your answers, we have, uh, of course, many other questions that we can go to and perhaps explore, and we'll do that here at the Australia Indonesia Centre and look at some of the issues that have been raised, particularly around that, that new poor but red one. Um, that's something we're keen to explore, so we might pick that up a bit more with you and, and, uh, and Sally Cap and, and look at measures that can be put in place. Um, wishing you all, all the best for what lies ahead. Uh, it's, it's going to be a long and challenging road, and as I said... We very much value your time and appreciate it. Thank you very much. So I'd like to thank the Lord Mayor of the City of Melbourne, Sally Cap, Ridwan Kamil, the Governor of West, uh, West Java, I nearly called you West Jakarta, of West Java, and Dr Bima Arya, the Mayor of Bogor. And thank you too for joining us again. I hope that we had some of your questions answered from these fabulous guests. And please join us for our next In Conversation webinar, which will be in two weeks, and we'll be looking at the education sector. That's all for now. I hope you have a lovely evening or a lovely afternoon wherever you are.